Well, as you can tell behind me, I'm standing in the middle of a living room scene. Uh, If you're listening to this online or on the audio CD later, you can't see this, of course, but I'm standing uh, in a living room scene. There's a nice, big, comfy uh, area rug here. This is actually kind of nice for my feet here. A nice, big area rug. We've got recliners. We've got the (laughs) hardcore, super cool 70s pleather recliner. Um, Pleather stands for polyurethane leather, those of you who are like under the age of 40. We got mugs that hopefully would be filled with something like hot cocoa or um, Catalyst Coffee Company beans roasted right here in River City. We've got cozy pillows. We've got beanbag toys for the kids. We got um, you know little stuffed animals, pictures of the family. Well, here's my question for you: What does this evoke for you? For me, I look at this scene, and it makes me think of home. It makes me think, first thing I thought of, (laughs) a little weird, but this is the first thing I thought of. It makes me think of my mom's Saturday morning blueberry muffins. I mean, I could smell them. It makes me think uh, of feelings of security and safety, togetherness. It reminds me of uh, discussion with my family around the dinner table. It reminds me of putting together puzzles on the coffee table. This is, this is a living room scene that for me, it's not an exaggeration to say that this kind of a scene for me makes me feel loved. Now, I would hope that it would be that same set of emotions and feelings uh, for you, but the truth is, and we're here to talk about truth, That's not how everybody experiences these kinds of of scenes. For some of us, uh, for way too many of us, this quaint living room scene is not so much a place that evokes actual memories of safety and security, but is more like a place perhaps we long for because the real place we grew up might have been a little bit of a a darker uh, and, and and a maybe more unsafe kind of place to the extent that maybe this makes you feel something other than love. In fact, I'd say for some of us, this living room scene may hearken to a place where evil things might have been said or done in your own life. So this this scene here behind me may make you feel a whole range of emotions. Now, now we don't want to re-traumatize you. Don't worry, we're not in the business of doing that. We won't become another unsafe place for you. But it is important here at the outset of this sermon series to recognize that not everybody smells blueberry muffins and automatically thinks pleasant thoughts. Uh, Sometimes memories and smells and feelings can evoke uh, in us confusing or painful emotions. For some, those kinds of memories might evoke confusion and insecurity, maybe even uh, abuse uh, and pain or trauma. So I'm aware as we go into a pretty heavy series, because we're going to talk about the context of the body of Christ is a place for, for healing. I'm aware that as we, we enter into a, a pretty heavy series like this, 
Now, there's a wide range of emotions, perhaps, going on. On the one hand, it looks and, and feels like a place that I have experienced that makes me feel love. And at the same time, perhaps, it might be, uh, in a sense, a trigger of, of feelings that are more like insecurity, lack of safety, vulnerability. But the reason we're doing this in this series is because there's actually good news. The good news is that whether this scene evokes feelings of safety and security or it evokes emotions of danger and vulnerability, what we want to do in this series is to infuse a new conception of what this stands for, a new idea of what a family is. We want to rewire our brains toward a new way of thinking about what this scene on stage represents. Because as it turns out, for our purposes here and for this series, this isn't just any regular old living room. During this series, this living room, the scene that I'm standing in represents a different kind of family than our biological families. And I'm not just saying this as a spiritual pie in the sky sort of idea. We'll get to that a little bit here. We're not just talking about sort of ideas being different. We're saying this living room scene represents what is in actuality a different kind of family than our biological families. This isn't about a family uh, that shares blood or genetics or name or address. This is a different kind of family, a new kind of family. And here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing that we're going to learn together in this series, we'll put a version of this on the board and on the wall for you here in just a second. But the amazing thing is that when we reorient our minds around this new conception of the family, we can experience true and lasting safety and security. Let me say that again. When we reorient our minds around this new godly biblical conception of what a a family is, we can experience true and lasting safety and security. Because in this family, God is Father. You are an adopted child. You are safe to risk connection. You are seen and heard. That's the process of healing that happens in the context of the body of Christ. God the Father adopts us as His children, which means that we are safe to risk connection with others and that we are seen and heard, that we are known, and that we know others. And then in week five, uh, finally, because I just named the the first four of those weeks, in week five, we're going to talk about how the members of this family uh, engage in this healing process, help lead others in this healing process, and then the leaders of this family called the church protect this process. So you see for us in this five-week series, for us, In this five-week series, we want this living room to be infused with this new conception. Whatever emotions or feelings and experiences it may evoke for you already, we want to infuse this image and this body of believers with a new conception of what a family is and what it's for and why we exist. So for us during this five-week series, we want this living room to represent the safety, and the security 
that is available in the context of the body of Christ. In the process of becoming part of a family where uh, it is safe to risk connection, you are seen and heard. Uh, This process is what we'll look at in this series. So, So welcome to the family. Here's our working definition in this series. This is not in your study notes, but we'll put it on the wall and you can write this down. This is what we're going to be working through this whole series. Uh, We'll come back to this. This is what we'll add color to a whole bunch along the way. Here's our working definition. God's family, the church. God's family, the church. Are you equating God's family with the church? Actually, yes, I am because I think it's scriptural. I'm not going to to defend all this right now, um, but you might have a few objections. Uh, We're not going to defend this right now, but along the way through those five weeks, I hope that this uh, makes a little more sense for you. So God's family, the church, is called to be a place of spirit-led healing where his adopted children create and protect a context of relational safety where people are seen and heard. So you may think, it's called to be a place. Wait, wait, I think the church is a people. The church is not a, you know, open up, see other people. Um, it's not a building. It's, a, it's not a place. You may have that sort of initial objection, comma, however, I'm standing here taking up space and I am a member of the body of Christ As are you, we meet in places. When we move, we're in another place. So unless you and I are disembodied apparitions, the church takes up space. And when it meets together, it's in a place. There's a whole bunch of kind of annoying anti-intellectualism and anti-institutionalism that I want to uh, engage with and prove wrong while I'm here, but I'm not going to. So it's a place of spirit-led healing where his adopted children, where God is Father who adopts the children, create and protect two pieces of this for us. We create, we engender this culture among us, and we protect this culture among us. And when I use the word create, I don't mean in and of ourselves as if God's not a part of it, relax. It's spirit-led healing. In fact, we could get into what the word create means in Genesis 1. If the real nerds want to come out, let's do it. Um, Create and protect a context of relational safety where people are seen and heard. This is a tall order, but it's really cool stuff that we're going to be talking about throughout this. So let's jump into the Bible. Genesis 1. We're going to show you a little bit today about where this concept of God as Father comes from and how it is that because He is Father, we can engage with this process. We can give in and lean into the truth that this is a worthy goal for us that will be about our good and our healing. So Genesis 1, 1, let's jump in there. Genesis 1, 1, we're not going to go through this whole passage, but I'm going to use the first uh, few verses as a representative sample of what goes on and then we'll go somewhere else. So here in Genesis, God is speaking stuff into existence. He's creating and he's calling everything that he creates good. This is good. This is Good. He says it like a thousand times in the first chapter, give or take like 993 times. So he's calling everything that he does here good for two main reasons. Number one, because the thing that he's creating is doing what he's called it to do. It's achieving the purposes God gave for it. And then the second reason he calls it good is because what he is speaking into existence, this is, this is huge for where we're headed, comes from him comes out of him. So let's learn about this good father. Looking at verses 1 and following. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void. The earth, was, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, Scripture is setting the scene for us here with these first two verses. The, the, the stuff of earth is chaotic, it's empty, it's formless, it's void, there's no purpose, it's not doing anything, it's just sitting there, nothing. Into which God speaks light. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and coffee, and Oreos, and soccer. Come on, football players. God saw that the light was good. Now, think about this for a second. Nothingness and then somethingness. This cycle repeats all throughout the creation account. There is nothing. God says something and from Him stuff is born. Stuff happens. We'll put some more color to this as we go along, but out of God Himself, things happen. Things are created. It comes from God. And so on throughout the rest of creation, something just, it comes from God. Now look at verse 26. Same kind of concept, but this is a different uh, animal here. It's us. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man. Us and our there. Maybe a little bit confusing if you've not noticed before. It's one of the first hints of the Trinity. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one essence. Uh, the Trinity is in Scripture, even though the Word isn't. We'd have to create that doctrine if it wasn't there, because it's there. Then God said, let us make man. Now notice what God is doing here again. It's just like we talked about with speaking light into darkness and everything that's come before this in verse 26. God is from Himself, from His being. He is creating humanity. He is from Himself bringing forth a human being. Those of you who have experienced childbirth, whether that's personally uh, or you've been in the room or in the hallway, um, would you call the experience of child forth the bringing forth of something? Duh, Scott, yes. Yes, it is the bringing forth of a child. Well, according to the Bible, Eve was not the first to bear a child. I'm not proposing that Adam was a baby when God created him. I'm proposing that God was the first to give birth to a human being. Maybe I've never thought about this before, but it gets at the fundamental, deepest possible level of our existence. That from eternity past, in the mind and heart of God, until this moment in creation when He said, let me speak. Speak this human being into existence. We didn't exist. And yet now we do. 
So Eve, of course, was the first human being to bear a child through the natural means, of course. But she was not the first to bear a child. God was. Not the first to bring forth the human being. So clearly, clearly God is doing something really big in creation. He's doing something really big in creation that comes from him. Now, we're going to see this idea develop some. We're just at the very beginning of Scripture. And and if we took the time, we could spend weeks on how the narrative arc of Scripture, how Scripture throughout develops this idea we're talking about. We're just going to scratch the surface, the tip of the iceberg this morning. So look at step two in this process. Genesis 12. This is Abram and God. Abram, who would later be called Abraham. This is God speaking to Abram in Genesis 12 and is giving him marching orders for his life that are in keeping with what God has just done with creation. Look at Genesis 12, 1. We begin to see the uh, concept of, of God as Father emerging more explicitly here in the person of Abraham. And so this is really cool, God speaking to Abraham. Now, before we jump in, notice that this interaction between God and Abram uh, is not just a relocation to another country. This is not just like about a change of job. Hey, Abram, go get a new house. This is not the only thing that's going on here on the surface. It's easy to look at this and go, hey, okay, so... He has to trust God to go to a new place. That's the lesson. Well, of course that's a lesson. But there's deeper, more fundamental stuff that are, that, that are things that are about God that are going on here in this. Jump in at verse 1. This is super cool. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. That's missional from the beginning, by the way. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now look again at verses 1 and 2. And listen closely here. God uses here in verses 1 and 2 an intentional contrast in wording when he speaks to Abram here. Just listen again to these verses. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. See the transition there. He's saying you have this way of life. You have this people. You have this existence. You've got a job. You've got generations of people before you. I get it. I know. But I'm telling you I will show you in this transition what I'm doing in the world and in your life and in your family and then later on throughout the whole Bible and all those who will come after you, Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's the result of all this. Verse 3, and in you, key phrase there, in you. By the way, Bible nerds, this becomes in Christ, in God. Galatians 3, 8 and 9, Paul and other interpreters grab this in you phrase. It's power-packed, super cool phrase. We're not going to get into it, um, but there's a hint. You can get a bunch of stuff out of that phrase in you. In you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is beginning to build his own family through Abram. 
Abram will be an earthly father to God's people. Uh, In fact, God would soon change Abram's name to Abraham, father of a multitude, meaning not just his own family, but many who would come after him. So, So the picture we're beginning to see that emerges here is that at the beginning of Scripture, and then indeed throughout, we can trace this all over the place. We'll give you a few lines of evidence of that in just a second here. But at the beginning of Scripture, we can see that throughout, God is beginning to build for himself a family. See, friends, the truth about this creation project of God's is that what God is doing in creation and throughout the Bible and in your life and hopefully in your own family and hopefully in this family called the church is that God is creating for himself a family where he is father. And listen, this isn't just... This isn't just spiritualistic, ideological, pie-in-the-sky, like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Metaphorically for us, it means this. What I'm saying is that Scripture is saying that when God is creating for himself a family where he is father, we are saying that God as creator is making in actuality, in flesh and blood, a people for himself. This isn't just figurative, ideological, pie-in-the-sky concept that sort of remains at the level of the popular notion of spiritual or metaphorical. What the Bible calls spiritual always has actual consequences, always. If that were not the case, then you could be spiritually reborn uh, after Jesus, John 3, and it could mean no difference for you actually in behavior. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says if you have the Spirit of God in you, you will bear fruit. So what happens spiritually always has actual consequences. Now, what we mean by this is that whatever your conceptions, whatever your conceptions of your purpose in life, if they don't line up with this idea that what God is doing in you and in your family is that He's receiving all of the credit, all of the glory, because He's the one who started this project in the first place. Let me show you some other lines of evidence. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into this right now, uh, but let me show you three other uh, lines of evidence Uh, that are really important for us here uh, to sort of give some color to this idea that God is creating for himself uh, a family. And and what we learn from this is is that God isn't just merely like a father. The the idea of God being a father in Scripture isn't there just because it's a nice metaphor. It's there because God is our true father. He is the one who from eternity past had us in mind. So think about this. We don't have time to look at all of these. um, But just think about what we find in Scripture. Three quick evidences that God is our true Father. Number one, God reveals Himself as Father. God reveals Himself as Father hundreds of times throughout Scripture. He's called Father. In fact, He does so also through a Son. God was revealed as, as Father 
And it receives an emphasis even in the, in the person of Jesus, not just that he reveals God as Father, but he actually speaks of him as Father. And the idea of God as Father takes on this sort of idea in his teaching that is explicit. John 10.30, if you're taking notes, John 10.30. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, I and the Father are one. John 14.2, Jesus speaking again. In my Father's house are many rooms. John 14.6, Jesus again. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's in Psalm 68, Isaiah 64, Matthew 6, Luke 23, all over the Gospel of John. It's in Galatians 4, Ephesians 2, 1 John 3. God is a Father and He reveals Himself through His Son. Secondly, Scriptures call us family, calls us heirs, co-heirs with Christ, calls us brothers, calls us sisters. Two quick examples, Luke 6.35, if you're taking notes, Luke 6.35, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting no return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. That's family language. God as Father we are sons and daughters. In Matthew 12, cool passage. Matthew 12:48 to 50, God is speaking with the crowd and uh, somebody comes up and says, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They'd like to speak to you. And Jesus says, this is Matthew 12, 48 to 50. He says, basically, who are my mother and brothers? This is one of those moments where Jesus says, shift your thinking. What I'm coming here to do is different than what you think. This is one of those moments where he says something people go, He's crazy. Who are my mother and my... These, my disciples, are my brothers and my sisters and my mothers. Third line of evidence. This could be a subset of number two, but I like it so much it gets its own. Plus, we're going to talk about this next week. Scripture calls us His children. We are adopted sons and daughters. This receives special emphasis... Uh, throughout scripture and we'll talk about this next week and it also happens to be one of my sort of pet favorite theological emphases john 1 12 to 13 i'm gonna look this up with you this is a super cool passage makes the point uh, almost as well as any passage in the entire new testament some of the words of jesus and paul um, are likewise but but john 1 12 to 13 super cool passage here let me read it with you This is in the context of, um, among lots of other things, John saying, Jesus is God. He was there at creation. He's been around the whole time. But to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus as God, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is one of those times where I think we, we take what is meant to be more forceful and literal, sort of figurative. And we think, oh, that's a nice concept. I'm not born of blood or will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. No, he, this passage is saying the most fundamental thing about who you are as a human being is that you were born not of the will of man, but of God. The most fundamental truth about who you are is that your truest father is the eternal, perfect, holy God of the universe. 
What a cool passage. John 1, 12 to 13 is a cool example. Psalm 103, 13, if you're taking notes, is another cool example of this. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. In Romans 8, uh, there's a cool, super cool uh, chapter there. But in Romans 8, the son is called the firstborn, in part because there are secondborns. And those who are secondborn are born of the father, of the son, through the Holy Spirit. We are the second born, so we are children in this family concept. So God is creating for himself a family where he is father. We could trace this narrative all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. But there's a little touch of it. Now, as soon as I say we're going to talk about the church as a context for healing... And this idea of the church is a brand new concept of the family. I understand that this isn't an easy transition to make in our minds. This new family dynamic takes some getting used to. It requires thinking differently about who we are and whose we are. Let me say it this way. I don't know uh, enough of you well enough to know all the ways in which this is true. Uh, but I know enough of you enough to know that what you've experienced flies in the face sometimes of this truth we're talking about as a relational concept of safety with other human beings. I know that as soon as we say that, that's like, uh, listen, been there, done that. What we're doing in this series is we're making a big ask of you. We're starting to ask you to begin to relate to other human beings and to one another out of the truth that it is who you are and whose you are that is the truth from which we relate to one another. Let me say it this way. This father in this family, unlike whatever you've experienced, this family, this father is a safe father. And we know he's safe because he's proved a love and a sacrifice of himself and his son Jesus. We know he's safe. Let me, let me say it this way. I'll close with this uh, illustration. When they were building uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, pretty quickly men started to die on the job. All the construction workers were men. And 23 of them uh, fell to their deaths on the Golden Gate Bridge because there were no safety precautions uh, of any type for them in their work. OSHA would have had a field day. So, they built this gargantuan safety net. This huge safety net under the bridge. And from that time forward, not only did not one man die, but, but ten men were caught in this net and they were safe. 
and they got 25% more work out of those same men moving forward. Which means, when we know that the most fundamental thing about who we are as people is the truth that an eternal, perfect God of the universe who created you, loves you, and will keep you safe no matter the circumstances, that, that is safety. We seek out safety in a whole host of ways other than that. We still live in the lie that our safety can be found in relationships with people by manipulating and by keeping up walls. Listen, the crazy truth about the Christian life is that growing in maturity is saying those walls, even though I feel them, I go beyond them and break through them because I know, because I know, I know whose I am and where I'm going. I know that I have a true Heavenly Father who loves me no matter what. And that's where my trust lies. It's out of that truth that we can engage in creating and protecting in the body of believers a place of relational safety where people can continue to grow become who God made them to be. May we continue to become that kind of place and those kinds of people. Let's pray together.